Caden Co PR would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land that this podcast was recorded and produced on, the Wurundjeri and Bunurong peoples of the East Kulin Nations. We pay our respect to their elders past, present and emerging and we extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. Welcome to the Press Office with Caden Copiar, the podcast that gives you an exclusive and unfiltered look behind the scenes of the Australian media landscape and public relations industry. I'm your host, Marissa Jane, and if you are dreaming of a career in public relations, are an aspiring journalist, or simply just obsessed with all things digital and traditional media, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome back to another episode of The Press Office with Caden Co. PR, where today I am absolutely thrilled to be joined by Georgina Dam, the founder of Dam Fine Food Co., a Melbourne-based event and catering company which creates unique and socially responsible events of any size throughout Victoria and beyond. As I was chatting to Georgina, she has actually just got back from planning a beautiful event in Venice of all places. And today we discuss all about where she finds inspiration for creating bespoke events, how she fosters culinary creativity and innovation, and the talking point that I loved the most was all around discussing corporate social responsibility and sustainability, which is just such an important facet for all businesses of any shape and size these days. If you are like me and an absolute party lover and get an absolute rush from planning and executing events, you will love this conversation. Now enough from me and let's get on to the podcast. Hello, Georgina. It is so nice to meet with you today and welcome to the press office with Caden Co. PR. Thanks, Bruce. We've been trying to do this for a while, haven't we? (laughs) I know, but someone very lucky got to jet off to Europe. I'm very jealous over here. Uh, I think half of Melbourne, certainly half of Australia was over there anyway. So, And and Melbourne, as you probably can tell, is pretty empty in the last few months. So, yeah, I was very lucky and hence the tan. (laughs) But it's really nice to be back home and, you know, to see Melbourne thriving. Yes, it is lovely. And I cannot wait to get into this conversation with you. So let's get the ball rolling with you telling us about the journey of Damn Fine Food Co. and how the company came to be. And I'd really love if you could touch on what services your company offers within the events market. Yeah, well, that's interesting because it's certainly developed. But I started out, you know, I studied marketing but I always had a passion for food and I loved entertaining. When I was at uni, I actually lived on a farm. So I would often have people stay for the whole weekend. And I really learned, I think, there about the whole, like a journey, like what would you do on Friday night when they, your guests first arrived from Sydney? And, and then what would you do Saturday morning to entertain them? And then where, how would you do dinner and lunch? And, and, you know, what would make it fun? And then when you wake up on Sunday, then what do you do with them? So I think that really taught me as I was growing into, you know, becoming an adult and while I was doing that for fun and for friends, it really made me realise how much I loved really being hospitable and that led me down more hospo and I always had had part-time jobs in hospitality. So it certainly even while I was studying and I, you know, I thought I'd end up in film or journalism. That was kind of where my passion was. But 
I just kept working in hospitality in part-time jobs while I was studying and even when I was interning, I was still doing it. And then I realised actually that's what I loved. So that's how Damn Fine Food really started. So the services that we offer, certainly obviously we offer food and catering menus, but it's definitely branched into an overall experience. So, you know, my team and I can provide design services, event management, wedding planning. That can be from invitation design right through to entertainment photographers, videographers, as well as overall AV, lighting, transport, and, you know, you name anything involved in an event, we can now cover and do, or we can just do the food side of things. It's really interesting that you started this journey from your time on a farm, because when you're planning your own event, there's so much that goes into it and you either love it or you hate it. And you clearly loved it. When you first started Damn Fine Food Co., did you ever think that it would get to where it is today? That's a really good question. Probably not. Like I don't think, I think, you know, those of us that start our own businesses, you know, that it's not for everyone. It's, you know, you've got to be able to take risk and be comfortable with risk. You've got to have faith that, you know, and you've got to be able to handle pressure, stress and anxiety and and still have a a fun, good life. And if if you can't do that, then running your own business is really not for you. Working for others is equally as satisfying, you know, in in lots of respects because it allows you to, to, you know, to do those things under, under the umbrella of someone else's risk. So I think certainly when I started out, I didn't think that it would get as big as it has. But what the pandemic has actually done is allow me to really stop and take a breath. And, in fact, what I've done is I've actually pulled back and I've kept it smaller and I've gone back to slightly more bespoke. I realised, you know, just answering the phone and taking jobs because someone's asking you to is not always a reason to. And I think, you know, I have a a reasonably small team here, very hardworking, amazing team, and I really liked the dynamic of being smaller. I felt when I was bigger, I was too disconnected. And I like being able to meet with my staff every morning and understand what's going on in their lives and have empathy and take be able to take on, you know, input and others creative. And I think when you sometimes when companies get too big, you end up just running a company and you don't end up doing what it is that started you in the first place, which is your love of something. Yeah. That's a really interesting point. And I, I try not to bring up the C word anymore, but you brought it up. How have you found that events have changed since COVID? Are you finding them to be more intimate or do you think that it's fully back into force now? Yeah, that, again, it, it's very different and depending on the situation. I think in the beginning it was kept smaller and things were more intimate, people were scarred. But I'm seeing a a real push for things to go big again. I think we're all, you know, we've all done some small dinner parties and some Zooms and some virtuals and there's nothing like 500 to 1,000 people having a great time together, dancing under the stars to an awesome DJ, drinking martinis and having fun. And I think corporates are seeing that as well. I think they were a little shy in the beginning because no one knew if it was going to come back. So you didn't want to be the spreader, you know, the spreader event. So I think there was a a hesitancy to stay away. I'm seeing bigger on the horizon, which makes me really happy because I I think bigger is always better. (laughs) Small and intimate is always, small and intimate is fun and it can make things more unique and considered. But I, I think I love big because I think you just get to touch more people. 
Oh, I love that. And Damn Fine Food Co., one thing that I love about you guys is that you're known for creating unique and socially responsible events. How would you describe, you know, your signature style and approach that sets Damn Fine Food Co. apart from others within the industry? Yeah, well, I'm really lucky in my industry. We're a pretty small industry in Melbourne and we all, you know, even my competitors, we all get on really well. We're all really supportive of each other and we've all kind of found our own niche. And I think, you know, there's always room for more players. I think that keeps you on your toes and it also keeps you asking, who am I? What do I want to do and who do I want to connect with? You know, who do I want my client to be? And what do I want my services to be to that client? So I think possibly in the market where I find myself and damn fine food code sitting is we're certainly more on the bespoke side and unique, you know. I don't tend to play in the major event space as much anymore because it just wasn't ticking my boxes for me as, a, as an event designer and as a caterer. I really love one-off. I love bespoke and using artists and suppliers and being able to do that as a one-off experience and then it's not done again. We don't rely on it because it's safe. And I like being pushed and I really love being innovative. And I think when you get the right client, they don't just say, oh, can we do what we did last time because it went really well. I love a client that goes, so last time was great. What else you got? <laughs> you know, and then that pushes us, you know, to go and, and start looking around and or if I often find things and I put them in my little cupboard of ideas and I'll be like, I can't wait to find the right spot to use that, you know, and that's what I love the most is so I love not being repetitive. I love being one-off most of the time, yeah. That leads me very nicely on to my next question because over the years in creating these bespoke experiences, you must have encountered some pretty amazing events and I am an absolute party lover. So I would love for you to share any particular highlights you've had. You know, obviously we have so many highlights and having said I love big, the big is often memorable. So, you know, the first time I did an event for a thousand people, I think it was the world's longest lunch and this would have been 15 years ago and it was the first time someone had accompanied in, you know, on the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival had entrusted a really young caterer with not a lot of experience in the size and I planned that for months. I had running sheets and diagrams and floor plans, broke it down into four different events and no one was to cross the line between this so it was just 250, it wasn't 1,000 and things like that and then that teaches you how to grow. So that for me was a memorable one, but really small, beautiful, considered curated events are also really memorable. I love collabs, for example, you know, when you collaborate and you get that opportunity. I work a lot with, you know, premium fashion brands. They're a very big part of our business. Their attention to detail from a brand perspective is incredible and you learn so much where everything you're doing has to be approved by their head office and they might sit in Paris. And sometimes you kind of roll your eyes and you're like, oh, does half a centimetre size of a canopy really matter? But it does for lots of reasons to them. And once you take that on board, you can learn a lot by that kind of client base about where brand experience is crucial and how all the little components are so specific in making up brand values and then how that translates into guest experience and the way those brands treat their customers and how they hold them in such high reverence. And that's why they keep them. 
So doing my first kind of lot of fashion brands was really memorable for me. Also really private parties, I think, when you, you know, when you see a bride and groom or a husband and wife are celebrating an anniversary or it might be a 30th or a 60th, when you get to be part of that experience and you've created a memory for someone that they will have forever, that's incredibly memorable. So that's probably the biggest joy. The anecdote about fashion is so interesting to me because fashion is art, but also I think food is art as well. And a big part of your business is catering. And I know when I was creating PR events, the menu was always so, so important to my clients. Why do you think that creating a perfect menu is so important for, let's say, a PR event? Well, I think food is, it has all the elements. You know, you can be doing a PR event in a square box, in a gallery, in a shoe store, in a fashion store, in a bank or an office, and food has sense of texture, you know, colour, taste, smell. It offers so many dimensions and the sense of when you serve food, it's it's a giving, it, you know, it, it's the art of giving. You're gifting someone, you're making someone feel good, you're nourishing them. I mean, you, I don't know how much nourishment you get from a canopy, but the concept is that you're taking care of somebody. Now, if you're selling, you know, if the PR event is something that might be a little dry, it could be insurance or it could be, you know, it could be something static like a car, well, you're not going to be able to drive that car around to that showroom as part of that experience. But if you set the level of what that food experience is as a reflection of that car, like let's say the car is, you know, it could be something fun like a Mini Cooper, for example, and that's about playfulness and use and, you know, it's like a retro brand so you might have a bit of retro food and you might have bright colours and you think of all the things that Mini stands for versus if you do an event for, say, Rolls-Royce, and you're thinking luxury and premium, then you can easily reflect that without driving the car through, and it doesn't all have to be caviar and French champagne, it's how many staff you have and the level of guest experience from taking your coat to knowing your name to, like, taking, I guess, cocktail experience and bespoking that to match. That's where food menus become really important because it's how you bring a brand to life. It was funny that you brought up the car example because that's exactly what I was thinking about when working for a car brand. You don't have that tangible experience always. So having the food there, it's how it correlates to that brand. So it becomes this really important part of the storytelling piece. Yeah, it really does. And the thing I think about food is clients know when they're invited to an event There's an event where you just get a glass of champagne and there's one bartender and that's fine because you're there to pop in and see a product. But if you want a real experience, I think how you treat food and beverage, whether it's standing or seated, is kind of like inviting a brand inviting you into their home. And for me, I would, you know, I never did a dinner party in halves. I would always be dressed up. I'd have the music, the table set in a certain way. I'd have steamboats and you know, I love taking it that next level. And that's what makes things memorable. That's where cut through comes from, you know. And from a PR perspective, I guess, you know, making sure the crowd's right, that's your job. And making sure you have this great mix of people. 
But I guess my job as a caterer is also to make sure that they're not just talking about, they know they're there to see the shoe brand or the whatever it is, but you can really surprise them and you can really heighten their experience where they go away and they go, wow, what a great night. I'm not sure why it was so great, but I had so much fun. And I remember this and I'm, I can still remember that. And I kept the swizzle stick or the drink coaster or the, you know, those little things. So I think they really, they all add up in payout. Yeah. And speaking about food, how do you foster culinary creativity and innovation to be able to offer these diverse menus for clients? Well, I eat a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I eat a lot and, you know, and I love it. And eating out for me is not just the food. It's actually looking at the restaurant fit out and how the staff interact and what the staff are wearing and how the menu's printed and what the lighting's like and what music are they playing. So it's all of those things. Like I said, I dine out a lot, especially in Melbourne. I travel a lot. You know, travel is a real passion. And I think staying up to date with what's going on, not just in Australia, but globally is really important. And you don't need to physically travel. You know, we can certainly do that via, you know, I spend a lot of time on the internet just looking at things. I go down rabbit holes all the time and find myself looking at the design of a Moroccan souk and and I'm like, what's that got to do with anything, you know? But I think having a sense of inquisitiveness really helps keep pushing you. Like once you've nailed a menu, Ben Shuri actually, I was watching a podcast, listening to a podcast with him from Attica, I'm, I'm sure you know him as a chef. I really admire one of the things he said is once I've got a dish right and I've served it, I take it off the menu and I never serve it again. And I thought, wow, that's brave because it's so easy to keep serving what we do well all the time. But what's great is not to do that, is to keep regenerating and keep, you know, keep ourselves motivated and keep looking out for what's new. I rely a lot on my suppliers for that. They come and tell me what new product is about, certainly in the food game. Like, you know, we didn't used to have Persian fairy floss or even pomegranates. 15 years ago, you couldn't come by. Um, If you think about that, you know, and things that were pushed culturally when a culture becomes, you know, bountiful here, like African culture is a a newer culture that's entered Australia. Way back when we had more, say, Italian and Greek, you know, migration, then you get Italian and Greek food and then you get product. And, I mean, I remember my dad having pesto for the first time. I'm thinking it was this crazy weird new thing. It's you know what I mean. It's always it's always just keeps changing and moving. And so our job is to make sure we're in the community. We're talking to suppliers. We're dining at other spaces, and we're enjoying other experiences. I've always got my eyes open. I'm always grabbing bits, whether it be you know, like I said, it could be a napkin, a piece of linen. It could be I take photos of all sorts of food, or I'm in a market, and I always stop and ask if I don't know something. And I think that keeps you current. I think that can kind of inspire you for across all different fields, you know, finding different sources of inspiration from traveling. And I love that little anecdote around once you nail something, moving on and trying to nail something new. That's, that's a great way to kind of stay on top of your game. It is, isn't it? And, you know, I took that quote from Ben Jury and I really applied it to myself and I thought, you know what, that's actually what keeps us interested and interesting to others, isn't it? You know, not just doing the one thing that we do well all the time. So, yeah, it's a a really interesting kind of thought and I've really tried to apply it to what I do. 
And looking beyond food, what are some other components that you think make an event exceptional and memorable? For me personally, I know when I walk into someone else's event, the things I always look at are lighting. And I know people don't think about that, but you think we're more in this you know, visual space and we've got influences and we're on TikTok and everything, everything is photographed. Lighting is actually really super important, actually, more so than ever. And also in creating a vibe and a feel like, you know, when you walk in and somewhere and the light's too bright and it's not warm and it's not inviting, well, that sets a tone for me already. I think that's super important. It's something that more people should pay attention to. Candlelight, where you're allowed candles, is beautiful light. It always reflects beautifully off the skin. You know, I always encourage more candles wherever possible. (laughs) And scent, floral and scent, where it's not either A, too overpowering. So you walk in, you know, you're like, oh, my God, yes, we get it. You're launching a perfume. We don't need to smell about everything. But where also you might walk into somewhere like a car showroom and someone has been so considered that there's an incredible, beautiful candle, you know, burning in that showroom and in the bathroom and on the hand sanitizer or the washcloths or wherever, that it's just, wow, I notice things like that. And I think that shows, you know, real consideration entertainment and noise levels you know you know when you walk in somewhere and it's too silent it's like oh okay didn't start off well or it's too loud and you can't even have a proper conversation you know as an event planner we have to think about those things a lot because there's you know the food can be beautiful but if you can't hear the person stand next to you then it might have defeated the purpose of the event which was to network to meet other people that liked a certain brand or to meet family and friends at a wedding Temperature actually is really important. You know what it's like when you walk in and somewhere's just too cold and it just makes everything stiff. And so I'm always running around events, turning heating up, opening windows, cooling it down, and then back at the end of the night shutting down spaces, making sure it's not too big and that we keep the, when I say warmth, I mean warmth in lots of senses, but also, you know, that the climate, of all those things comes together and it keeps the, that real tone of an event alive. They're all great watch outs and anyone who is planning an event should be taking notes, I think. <laughs> and in terms of Dampine Food Event Co, sustainability and social responsibility are essential aspects of the business, which I think is so important for all businesses in this day and age. How is this something that you incorporate into your event planning and catering practices? Marissa, that's a really great question and I think it's something as business owners we all need to think a little bit more about and make the time to actually make it a priority, not just, okay, when I get time I'll get to that. Social responsibility is obviously quite different to sustainability, you know, they, they, but, but they are interlinked. I think social responsibility actually starts in the workplace You know, it starts with how you treat your staff, how you encourage them to treat each other, then that rolls into how they treat and respect and have a responsibility socially to clients and then the community and then the industry. So social responsibility really, you know, boils down to inclusiveness and making sure and awareness and empathy. And I think it's really important. It starts in the workspace. Like you need to make it a priority within the space that you work so that it's always front of mind for everyone working for you, whether they're in the kitchen and how they treat suppliers or other chefs 
or if it's in your sales team and then being mindful when they're dealing with other suppliers or clients and it filters down from there. So gender neutral bathrooms and things like that we have to you know it used to be disability toilets you know 20 years ago and now you know that's gendered into and how we address people or ask people or don't make assumptions on gender or even just what people are comfortable with mental you know mental awareness and understanding if someone's not having a great day don't pressure them more don't get on their back you know you can talk about that later but having empathy I think is actually where social responsibility starts. And that kind of, that's how I look at it within my businesses. And I have other businesses outside of Down Fun Food. I have lots of venues as well. I have the George Ballroom and Alto Event Space, uh, wedding venues that, you know, and, and corporate and PR venues. But I also have shareholdings in others like the Metropolis and Q Events in the CBD. And we always all make that a priority within our businesses that we talk about. So that's social responsibility, but I think with sustainability, again, what's made it a lot easier, I've been in the industry for 20 years, we used to have these, you know, we used to know that we needed to be more sustainable, but we didn't really know how to go about it or we couldn't afford it. And now there's so many great companies doing so many fantastic, offering great services and products that help us to achieve that sense of being more sustainable in what we do. I mean, I laugh because my, my staff laugh at me. I was like, if we can do an event with no cable ties, no glad wrap and no bubble wrap, I'll be happy. You know, that's my end game. I mean, it goes a lot bigger than that, but it starts there with those simple things. And I've seen it, you know, from where we throw everything away and after an event to we send, you know, if we finish a wedding, we ask where is the floral going tomorrow? Where do you want the leftover food? What do we do with this that wasn't used? It doesn't just go in the bin. Yeah, and that's so great that you're passionate about it because it does really come from the top down in a lot of businesses too. And it's about allowing, you know, your staff to have training and to actually have the time in the day to learn about these different practices that they need to be across. Or listening to staff. I mean, to be honest, I'm learning that from them really rather than the other way around. You know, I'm a bit of a dinosaur in my office. I think it's really important for everybody to have a voice and to be able to speak. And we, you know, we, we're quite religious about our, you know, weekly meetings and making sure that we set the agendas and we stick to those. And these things are always discussed. And you've got a, an avenue for people to contribute to creativity and to inclusivity and sustainability and, you know, responsibility, I guess. Yeah. And speaking of creativity, the event industry is one that experiences trend changes all of the time. It is constant. And you have previously mentioned that you're all about creating bespoke events. How do you stay updated with, you know, the latest trends and incorporating them into what you're doing? I try to look outside, you know, my lane is not just food. I mean, I think people think when you have a catering business, that's all you're looking at. For example, I travel a lot for design, like I try to go, I go to Salon Mobile in Milan, which is a furniture and design fair, and a lot of trends are set well in advance in those types of things. I'm looking at colours, I'm like, oh, my God, this year it's all about mustard, you know, or I'm seeing what other people are doing or how they're presenting and sustainability comes up as well in these kind of, in trade shows. Trade shows are a really, really important source. Even trade shows, like I go to boat shows, I love boats, I love looking at boat design and, you know, in turn in galleys and what are people doing with fabrics and, and I love 
I mean, I love being on the water. But, and I think travel is, and it doesn't mean you have to go to Europe everywhere to be inspired. I mean, travelling to Tasmania is inspiring. Travelling to the Northern Territory is inspiring or Western Australia, you know, we don't need to just go and sit on a beach in Noosa to be inspired. Like it's actually, not, not that that's actually not inspiring because, again, you're eating in those kind of places you go, oh, my God, finger limes, like I never thought they were 10 years ago or you know, going, um, eating more culturally, I guess, Australian types of bush foods and things like that. You see a lot more of it up north and that's inspiring. But I also look at design, I look at music, I look at art, I look at other avenues all feeding in to, I guess, events as sources of inspiration. And fashion too, really. Fashion's a big one. And I have worked in the events industry previously And it does really go hand in hand with the PR industry. So I understand how it isn't as glamorous as it seems. What do you think is the misconceptions of the events industry and your job? I'm just laughing that you're laughing, Marissa, because you know how hard it is. And I think everyone thinks of events industry is like, oh, you just put your high heels on and you grab a champagne and you walk around and you swan around a party chatting to people. (laughs) <laughs> and I think obviously that's a big misconception and, in fact, you know, that's when the you know the, all the hard work's done beforehand and you're certainly not even doing that during the event. So I think one misconception is that it is that, that it's just being social, but it's, you know, in fact, if you do your job well, you shouldn't be really seen because you're there for your client. It's not really your job to be, you know, promoting yourself within their job. You should be behind the scenes watching what's going like I said, adapting and changing things like lighting and music and the, um, the flow of food and slowing it down or speeding it up and working in with speeches and, and those types of things. So I think, yeah, with the, yeah, the misconception is that you're just attending parties, you know, same with PR. I think people think you just swan around and go to parties and get free stuff. I wish that was the case. <laughs> but it's super rewarding. So, yeah, so I think that's the big misconception and you really need to be prepared to be on your feet for very, very long hours. And there is a physicality to this job that you've got to take into account. Like if you're not a strong, healthy, physical person, in some respects events is not for you because you need to be adaptable and up and ready to move a sofa, clean a toilet, pick up a coat, you know, serve food if you have to, wash a dish, clean glasses, you know, you need to be on top of everything. That's so true. I remember just like carrying trolleys worth of stuff and you're running here and there because the timing is so tight half of the time before an event. And yeah, there is this sense of physicality that I don't think is discussed that often. No, it's kind of like if you think about being a hairdresser, you know, you have you hear young, you know, younger people going into hairdressing like, oh, my back is so sore. It's like, well, don't if you've got a bad back or it's you know you're not fit, don't be a hairdresser because you're going to be on your feet. It's the same in what we do. You have to be on your feet for long hours and running. You know, I did an event one I just finished actually in Europe, and I think on the event day I did thirty seven thousand steps. Wow! <laughs> and that was just one event, you know, and that's how much you run around. That's so interesting. I, I'm getting like flashbacks. Get me out. <laughs> and for those wanting to be a part of the world of events, what advice do you have? And I guess any advice specifically for those starting their own businesses. And since this is a PR 
podcast, how did you PR yourself when you were first starting out? Yeah, it's tough because, you know, as much as we'd love to be able to afford the fabulous services of Kate & Co, when you're first starting out, you can, I mean, some startups, definitely there's budgets already set. But for a lot of small companies like my own, we just started out of, you know, it was just a one-man show. I was doing everything, you know, I was going getting the food, cooking the food, serving the food, washing the dishes, repeat. And then I could afford a chef and then I could afford a salesperson and then, you know, so you don't necessarily start. In fact, that's probably the fault with a lot of businesses is we don't start with the right amount of funding. We don't have the cash up front to do what maybe we need to do to be successful. So PR in that sense when you first start out, it's it's up to you. You've got a network. You are the PR, you know, and then you've got to make, you can't hide behind just doing great socials. People want to know who's behind the business, where's the heartbeat, of that business and they want to connect. They want to know that their brand aligns with your brand and that your service is going to align with what their expectations are, whether that be commercial or be a wedding. You know, they want to make sure that my knowledge of food matches theirs and that what I think is exceptional is what a a bride and groom think for themselves. So when I meet a bride and groom, I always say to them, what are your favourite restaurants? Because I want to understand what their style is and what their sense of food and how high is their expectation or what would make them happy so I can match that, you know, really, really well. I think you need to get in it first. It's You know when people say, I think I'm going to open a bar, you know, because I love going to bars. It's like saying I want to work in events because I love attending them. You have to get in, in them and make sure that what you think that industry is is actually what that industry is. So I would say the very first thing to do is to go and get a job interning, volunteering. There's so many opportunities in events, as you'd know. We do major events. There's always volunteer work around that, that, you know, you'll get accredited. You might get university credits for it. You'll certainly get a certificate of notification. And those things, I look for those things when I look at CVs, you know, because when you come to me and you apply for a job and it's an entry-level position, the thing that will cut through to me is, whether that person went the extra distance to get extra knowledge. I also love when I see people have worked at McDonald's or a chain because I know they understand process and they understand procedure and how important that is and that we're not just kind of flying by the seat of our pants. And that I think shows that they've got an awareness of that. That's really important. But you're getting experience interning, internships are, are vital and volunteering. You know, it's, it's great for the causes it's great for your own self-development and I think as an employer, I always look for that on a CV. I totally agree. You're not going to learn anything unless you're getting your hands dirty and you're having that first-hand experience. Very true, very true. And in terms of the future, what does the future hold for Dan Fine Food Co? And I guess more generally, is there anything that excites you about where events are going? Well, I hope they're going big. (laughs) I love big. So, I mean, I'm just looking forward to, I think we can all see, you know, that when we looked at, for example, the Australian Open, wow, what a a growth event. And the Grand Prix, like look where that's, where it kind of went backwards and how it's gone forward. There is a huge capacity for Melbournians and people across Australia and around the world to be eventing again, you know, like, and I think everyone's missed it and I think there's a connect and everyone 
when you're standing with someone that's like-minded and they enjoy what you, you're enjoying. And as we know, music and food and beverage are huge, huge parts of those experiences. A lot of people aren't going for the car racing, you know. They're not going for the horse racing and they're not going for the tennis. They're actually going for the event, the activation experience around it. So I hope and I think it's going big. I think that's where the future is. For me personally, for Damn Fine Food Co., I want to be more international. I've certainly had the great opportunity during COVID to work with people that decided to do destination weddings and now private events, and I'm certainly doing more of those than I've ever done. And for me, it's a real passion. I love it because I get to work in a culture as if it's my own. I see how other cultures and countries do things. I learn from different suppliers and I get to travel, which I love. So I hope there's more of that in my, if I rubbed my crystal ball. And I'm certainly pursuing that. Um, and I think for my team, it's also inspiring because even though they don't all get to attend, they certainly get involved in the planning process where we're dealing with, we're looking at Italian menus and wines and linen companies and, and printing and what, what's available there. And it raises the bar for us here. Wow, well, why aren't we doing that here? Why can't we find that here? So that's, I see a lot more of that. But I also see Bespoke as being, for me, that's where I really want to be. I really love the process of sitting with a client from the very beginning and it's a journey and it can be a long journey. It can be 12 plus months. I I love that. I love seeing more of where we can talk through your client, what the brand is, or if it's private, what you want to achieve as a memory for the family. And I can help you know, I can give you all the tools through all my years of experience to create something that's purely unique for you and that reflects you as a person or a brand and that no one else has done it that way. And then we go and we get on to the next and we start again and we do it differently. Well, I can't wait to see Damn Fine Food Co. continue to go from strength to strength. But now it is time for our quick fire questions. Are you ready? Hit me up, Marissa. <laughs> okay. Your favourite PR event ever? Probably one I worked on. It was the launch of the Emporium um, many years ago and that and that was enormous and it was so bigger than Texas and it was Baz Luhrmann inspired and he had the creative and Tony Asnes, who's a creative out of Sydney, ran it. And we had roller skating waiters and snow and girls squashing grapes with their feet and it just had everything and that's probably, and it had a couple of thousand people and it was beyond. So that's probably my most memorable one. It sounds amazing. Okay, your favourite podcast, apart from this one, of course. Obviously this one. <laughs> the Impeccable, um, sorry, The Imperfects, do you know, have you, do you follow The yes, Imperfects? Yes, love it. Yeah, I, I, for me, I think when you learn that somebody, that other people are not getting it right, it's such a great relief to think, Okay, so it's not just me. So everybody everybody makes mistakes or everybody's not great at things. And actually that Ben Shuri quote I got off listening to Imperfects and I just love the way that podcast approaches things and I think it's a real feel-good one. The other one, do you know Desert Island Dishes? No, I don't know that one. Oh, that's another one. So that's, um, what's her name, Margie, Margie Namura, I think it is. She's English. She's a private chef and a food stylist. She basically takes, you give, she interviews, you know, people and says you've got seven dishes to take on a desert island. What would they be? And then they tell stories around why those dishes, 
you know, it could be actually their mum's tuna Mornay from the 70s. It's not necessarily cool, but it's why food's important to us and what we would take with us on a desert island. It's a great podcast. I'm going to have to listen to that one. Okay, what is your favourite social media platform? Well, I'm a bit of a dinosaur, so I do live on Instagram quite a bit. I'd have to say it's probably Insta for me, even though all my staff are, you know, very much more into TikTok, etc. I'm probably on Instagram the most. Your most visited website? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, it's Funnily enough, it's probably booking.com. <laughs> Because I'm, if I'm not booking something, I'm always looking. So I'm always seeing what's available, where I could stay, what I could rent. I guess I'm always looking in the future. So I'm looking, and then I use it a lot because I book, you know, because I do I do destination weddings and events. I'm all, we actually handle all of the travel and the accommodation and whatever. So it's probably booking.com. And my final question for you: What is your screen time? God, uncounted. I mean, I don't know, actually. I I thought about that actually before I came on here and I don't really, I don't monitor it. I know when I've been on it too much because I feel like I get a bit isolated. I don't mind spending a night going down a rabbit hole because I think, you know, you can find fun things. I think the key is to make sure you don't repeat anything too much in one week, one month, one year. So it's probably to just get, make yourself, I do set alarms sometimes on myself just to be like, hey, are you aware you've been doing this for an hour? <laughs> I have no idea, to be honest, what my time would be, Marissa. <laughs> Sometimes it's better not to know. It's like shopping, you know, you don't really want to know what you spent. You just want to know what you get. <laughs> exactly. Well, anyway, Georgina, it has been such a pleasure chatting to you and I really, really appreciate your time. So thank you. Thank you so much. It's been a joy and I really, I really enjoyed the process. Thanks, Marissa. Thank you for listening to The Press Office with Kate and Co PR. Please subscribe, rate and review via your favourite podcast app and please give us a follow, like and share on Instagram at Kate Co PR.